he decided to pass the time by designing a board game. And what topic to design his game in, but the one in which his daughter once called him an aficionado in, crime. And more specifically, a detective game, a whodunit, a game that would capture the fun of his favorite game at parties. Together with his wife, Elva, between 1943 and 1945, they worked on the game, inventing suspects, weapons, and a game board. These suspects, or guests rather, included the likes of Miss Gray, Mr. Gold, and Colonel Yellow. Somebody different would become the victim in each game, and the surviving members became the detectives, and quite possibly, the suspect. The murder weapons in the original involved a lot of choice for the would-be murderer. A fireplace poker, perhaps? Or a bottle of poison? Or maybe even a bomb? They decided to base the game board, the location of the crime, on the plush country houses that endeared so many readers in the golden age of detective fiction. The odd paradox of a well-to-do individual protected in their manicured, often dreamlike house with the deadly murder inside was a common trope, and the Pratts chose it as their setting, naming it Tudor Close. After the murder victim was selected, a secret murderer, weapon, and room card was chosen and put into an envelope and sealed, and players needed to explore the house and ask the other players what they had, and use deduction to figure out those secret cards. If they guessed right, they won, but if they guessed wrong, they were eliminated. The game was called Murder, and Pratt quickly filed for a patent, which if you listen to our copyright law podcast from a few weeks ago, you'll remember how rare that is now, but was popular back in the day. But who was going to sell it? Pratt had a friend named Jeffrey Bull, a designer himself of the game Buccaneer, and Bull got Pratt a meeting with Waddingtons, who were the ones who published Monopoly in Great Britain, a fact that will be important in our story later. The managing director of Waddington's was an astute man named Norman Watson, who was impressed with the game, but had some issues with it. First, he didn't think people would like a game called Murder, because, you know, there was a war going on and all. It was Watson that came up with the name Cluedo, a pun based on Clue and Ludo, Latin for I play, in a game in and of itself. The gun room was changed to a dining room extension, and, hmm, let's make it easier to get from one side to the other of the board by adding passageways. Four guests were removed, sorry Mr. Brown, Nurse White became Mrs. White because reasons, and in came Mrs. Peacock. One of the more interesting things was a name change due to the war. You see, Watson was also working with MI9 people, slipping tools and maps inside Monopoly board to prisoners of war. So he didn't like the name Colonel Yellow, as it was military slang for cowardice, hardly a name befitting a colonel. Only three characters in total stayed between Pratt's showing and Watson's editing, Professor Plum, Miss Scarlet, and Reverend Green. It was the Waddington edit that also saw two of the most iconic weapons added to the game, the candlestick and the lead pipe, which was, in fact, made with actual lead. So it was poison as well? Kinda? That's just an immersive experience right there. Waddington's needed to wait to publish, however, because the war had caused material shortage, so the game was not released in the UK until 1949, and it wasn't very popular. The same could be said of its release in the US by Parker Brothers, the makers of Monopoly, and the deal was not an easy one between the parties. At the time, George Parker, the founder, had a rule where Parker Brothers refused any game with murder, so there was that. Well, that's okay. Let's just change it to, instead of murder, let's call it the act. Act totally doesn't imply murder, right? Also, Dr. Black should be changed to a sillier name. How about Mr. Body? And Reverend Green? No, no, the religious American public would not like a game where a member of the clergy would commit such a mur- such an act. So he became Mr. Green. 
And finally, we aren't advertising this thing. We don't want to be Parker Brothers, the game company of murder. Maybe these trimmings or the lack of advertising had something to do with the initial slow sales of the game. But in both the US and UK, after a year, the game started selling more and more. Parker Brothers bought the rights to Sherlock Holmes for the game from the Arthur Conan Doyle estate and called it the great new Sherlock Holmes game. Slowly but surely, this game was getting popular and it was time to stop sharing the earnings with the Pratts. So Waddington, according to the Pratts, did a little swindling, making it seem like the game wasn't selling as well as it was and not telling him that it was selling like hotcakes in the US, they bought the rights for the game outside the UK for a one-time lump sum payment of 5,000 pounds, about 190,000 US dollars today. But hey, it was all good, right? You still have your patent. Well, that patent would run out in 1967, and the Pratts would go on into obscurity, with Anthony needing to go back to work. Pratt would try to get another two games published, one about buried treasure and another about gold mines, but neither one made the cut. The next time Waddington's even tried contacting him was not when the patent ran out, but rather a publicity stunt in 1996 when the game hit the 150 million copies sold mark. They found out that he had died two years earlier, four years after his wife. But his game lived on, and is sitting as the fifth highest selling game of all time, behind chess, checkers, Monopoly, and Scrabble. All the while, the game has been a hit in the public and a bargaining chip for Waddington's. You see, Waddington's and Parker Brothers had an almost silent threat throughout their relationship before Hasbro bought both of them. If you take away my right to print your game, I'll take away your right to print my game. Monopoly and Clue became the cornerstone of the company's relationship. But on a more positive note, the hit it became has been astounding, all the while trying to balance keeping up to date with the public's love of its traditional look. Nicholas Ricketts, curator of table games at the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, talks about versions sold in the 1960s having animated-looking characters, mirroring the growing popularity of Saturday morning cartoons. And in the 1980s, versions adopting the slick style of the decade. Even Inspector Clouseau, the bumbling detective of Pink Panther fame, was an advertising icon for the game. And who could forget the cult classic Clue movie in 1985, which featured three different endings. If you lived in the UK in the 1990s, you might have watched the Clue TV show, which ran for four seasons, in which guests would give clues in character. Or you might have gone to Clue the Musical, in which audience members randomly select cards that determine which suspect committed the murder, which weapon was used, and in what room the murder took place. And based on the cards drawn, the mystery has 216 possible endings, for which the script provides appropriate selections of dialogue to be delivered at the show's conclusion. But the game itself has transformed as well, both successfully and unsuccessfully. There was Super Cluedo Challenge, which tried adding evidence to the game, but that was turned down by then-chairman Victor Watson. 2008 was the next attempt with Clue, Discover the Secret, which tried to move everything to the modern day. Come to Hollywood Hills with a swimming pool, spa, and movie theater, where you could be murdered by video game billionaire Victor Plum, ex-child star who just wants back in the spotlight, Diane White, or football star Jack Mustard. And you could be murdered by dumbbells, or maybe in a war trophy. Oh, and also, how could I forget? A new deck of cards has been added to the game, the Intrigue Cards. This deck consists of two types of cards, keepers and clocks. Keepers give the drawer special abilities, such as the ability to look at another player's cards. However, these cards do not override the original rules. Of the eight clocks, the first seven that are drawn do nothing. The player who draws the eighth clock is killed by the murderer, or in this case, serial killer, and is out of the game. This, uh, did not go well with the people who liked the game. Where's the traditional English setting? The characters, what happened to them? 
as Kate Summerscale wrote in her review in The Guardian, the Englishness of it and the datedness of it was part of the appeal, and it soon went out of production, with one writer from The Independent comparing it to the new Coke debacle. And no, it was not Trent Crim, The Independent. It was Cole Morton, The Independent. The only successful update was in replacing Mrs. White, replacing the servant with Dr. Orchid, adopted daughter of Dr. Black, and an expert in plant toxicology. Certainly seems like poison would be a good murder weapon for her, I would imagine. But transformations or not, Clue has become a staple in the UK and the US. It is commonly remembered fondly from childhood, and many hobbyist board gamers talk about it as one of, if not the, best traditional mass market game. There is something so symbolic about the manor, the guests, the classic whodunit, the game that started out of boredom on a dining room table in between air raids, and Clue is not going anywhere anytime soon. Sorry, Mr. Body, you're going to be dying a lot more times around the world. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked it, please, please leave us a five-star review on your podcast app and subscribe. It really helps people find the show. And check us out on Instagram at BoardGameDojo and on Twitter at the BG Dojo. We're also on YouTube, so come check us out on there for board game reviews and interviews. Arigatou gozaimashita. Janne! Ja